Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over This time Ronaldo is a cop. Boom, 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 the foul. Boom, 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 the yellow card. Nah, that's actually bollocks, I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you shorty man? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Owen Murph and Ken are all looking forward to the Republic of Ireland taking a giant leap towards the Euro 2016 qualification by taking care of Georgia tonight. Hi, guys. Hi, Owen. How are you? Hello, everyone. I'm all right, but I do want to start by talking about gratitude. Yeah. More accurately... A lack of gratitude. Mm. I quote from today's Outside the Box column, Murph. My <laughs> Monday, My Monday doesn't begin until I read Outside the Box by Ken Early in the Irish Times. <laughs> is it actually called Outside the Box? Do you don't, don't know the, pretend you, that you don't, you don't know, know the name the of it's not, a, it's not called Outside the Box. It is Outside the Box. Do you want to, I'm just going to hold it up there so <laughs> that can read the name of it. Oh, right, okay, okay. You should just be typing. It's uh, not some sort of pun on the words on your surname. Okay, it early. Really should be. The, er, the early edition. Oh, that's the early, yeah. yeah, this could go on for mm. uh, Where's my quote here from this piece? Oh, yeah, if Robbie Keane scores tonight, you should drink in the spectacle and savour the moment. It could be the last time you ever get to do it. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. What do you mean? Well, you're saying that Robbie, Robbie Keane can't, can barely score against Georgia these days. Gibraltar is a level of opponent that he scores against, and that's about it. Hey, look, it's not me that's saying it. It's the facts. <laughs> I, I, I wish it was just me that's say, that the was saying this. right outside the box, not Ken Early. Just remember that. Unfortunately, it, just, it seems to be the, um, the facts of, of basically in, in the last this, four years. Well, in this group campaign, certainly, it's been... Well, no, it's, it's actually the last... It's, it's actually since he went to the United States. He's only scored against Sweden of teams that are... Realistically speaking, any good? Yeah. Well, are you taking Georgia out of that category because he scored against Georgia? Georgia are in the category of teams he scores against. Yeah, but Georgia is in the category of teams that we, we need, need him to score against. To score against. Grant, yeah. Granted, we probably are going to beat Andorra regardless. Although we did look a little bit shaky for a little <laughs> while on uh, Friday night. Um, yeah. Look, Robbie and Robbie Keane was there. You know what I'm saying? He was there. The ball, ball hit the post, hit the goalkeeper. Who reacts first? Did you notice the run he made for that though? It's the classic Robbie Keane run where he goes as though he's going to run to the near post. After John Walters had produced some outrageous skill on the left mm. flank, oh, yeah. he does that little run to the near post, then checks it, spins back and pulls away from his marker. Now, it was obviously completely jammy how the ball got to him, but even he, he was obviously available for that. And if Walters had managed to connect properly and ch- clipped across over the top, he would have been free at the back post. So it's not just this thing of he's there he actually makes the effort to get into those positions as opposed to a lot of strikers who'll just do the one thing they'll just either peel away 
or head towards the yeah. near post. And like then there is rebels. great comfort in knowing in, in you know be, in being tackled in being in a position where you can be tackled. It's because you know if if the centre back's there, then you know you know if if I'm there as well, then you know it, it the the ball is going to the centre back is there because that's where the ball often is mm-hmm. so it takes a bit of imagination to be where the centre back isn't if you know what I mean mm-hmm. like the, that the easy thing is to go into a tackle the hard thing is to feign to go in for a tackle and then be there when the I'm ball you, rips off the goal let's, let's get into this in Kennedy's report on sport so you think I I'm ungrateful to Robbie Robbie Keno for all he's done in general conversation no I, I don't think so but in this one piece I mean, you've talked a lot about Robbie Robbie Keane over the years, and I'm well aware that you hold him in a certain regard. Oh, quite very, a high, quite a high regard. Very high regard. Yeah, sixty-seven goals, Owen. Sixty-seven goals. Who can argue with that? Mm. All these crap um, teams are in everyone else's group as well. So that's what international football is. You know, I mean, it's, it's not like you kind of start, start, like it's sixty-seven goals in the championship compared to sixty-seven goals in a Premier League career. Mm. Like everyone is in a group. Uh, like all of the the big countries have more crappy teams that you would be expected to stri- strikers to score against. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, the it is a great leveler in that respect that the the stats don't lie. That the obviously there are more crappy teams now than there were forty years ago. But of the players playing right now, all like every striker has these games where they can pour on the goals if they want to. Uh, yeah, although not every striker gets to play 141 times for their country either because some countries, uh, other strikers come along and start uh, muscling in on the caps action. Now that kind of happened here to an extent. We, we expected it with the explosive young Tyro, Shane Long, who's nearly 30 years old now. <laughs> and so the situation with Shane Long is a bit like, uh, you know, the playboy of the Western world where Christy Mahan, uh, Christy Mahan's dad just ain't letting go of that farm. <laughs> he's he's gonna he's sitting on that farm. He's pretty old now, but he's gonna continue sitting on the farm. And poor old Christy, meanwhile, hasn't really got uh, much of a hope of achieving anything in this life. So he has to run over to the neighbouring village and start bragging about how he's driven Loy into his father's head. Um, it isn't true, of course, but you know he's reduced to this sad fantasy existence because. Uh, Are you it. suggesting that's what Chen Long? No. Well, I mean, go and 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 don't have a couple farm implements are hanging around there. That have a couple of drinks in in a bar somewhere and start boasting about how he's taking care of it. Maybe you know, maybe, maybe you know if, if that's gonna. I don't know. I mean, it's it the the reaction. I want to have to say. I, I wouldn't. I, I'd say a mixed reaction. to This piece by Robbie Keane because essentially what I was trying to do is was compare Keane to. It's not like Keane is the only you know big name European player who's gone to Major League Soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is the most successful. And so uh, you wouldn't have necessarily said he was the best. I mean, Andrea Pirlo's there now. Andrea Pirlo was playing in the Champions League final only a couple of months ago, uh, which is a level that Robbie Keane long since departed from. And Pirlo's been kind of, you know, at that level consistently for decades. But he's gone to New York and he's having an absolute nightmare. You know, it's it's like everyone is, what the hell is happening to Pirlo, you know? I mean, I was reading some of the stuff about him. Oh, maybe Andrea Pirlo needs to take... Major League Soccer a bit more seriously. Maybe it's not the comfortable retirement he had in mind. And sort of showing a footage of Pirlo just standing there watching the ball, um, you know, watching a guy just run past him and not making any effort to stop him at all. But of course, Pirlo doesn't do that. No, <laughs> even in World Cup semi-finals, he'll happily stand there and watch guys run past him. He hasn't done it for for ages. He can't do. It. He literally can't do it. He physically doesn't. Have, all he can do is walk around. Uh, so he needs to play with 
good players in order to have any effect on the game. And I, the point I was trying to make was that Robbie Keane actually plays better surrounded by bad players because he lords it over them and bullies them and, and, and ruins them. You know, he, he knocks the ball through their legs, you know, beats them with a just a change of direction on his first touch. I mean, you know the goal I'm talking about here, the one where he, a long ball, Robbie Keane, this is an LA Galaxy goal a couple of months ago, or a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember exactly. And the ball, he's kind of coming in from the left side, the goalkeeper's running out, and Robbie Keane just takes out a defender and the goalkeeper with one touch control of the ball and then rolls it into an empty net. It's just so arrogant. It's so easy for him to do that against these players. But unfortunately, there aren't too many of them playing in the European qualifiers these days. You do get a few playing for Gibraltar, and that's why he scored five and five goals in two games against Gibraltar and no goals in five games against the other teams where we really need a goal. But yeah, the reaction is a, is a little mixed down. Go on. Really shit, striker scores more against crap teams, article by Ken Earlies today, says Brian Ahern. Great article, says Darren Cooper. Smacks of begrudgery, says Joe Sheldon. Very perceptive analysis. This is Brian Scully. Not <laughs> a Brian. Are you just reading at your Twitter timeline? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's. Um, I think what you think of that largely depends on what you think of the situation to begin with and then whether or not it agrees with your... No, it does seem that in the last, certainly in the last three or four years, the, I, I never bought this, and I still don't buy this, idea that all oh, Robbie Keane only scores against the, the bad teams or more to the point only well, he scores, used oh, to score against good teams yeah only scores in the, but it, even when he did that people would would make this argument people were making this argument five years ago and I, I didn't think it made a huge amount of sense because we weren't beating those teams anyway yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Gibraltars out of this you know you're talking more the Georgia the next level up yeah. are the teams that he's scored a half full of goals against uh, so probably in the last certainly in, the last, in this qualifying campaign it's clear to see he has not scored goals against good teams and he has scored against Gibraltar only so hopefully a hat-trick tonight Ken he's, oh by the way he's, this, I could sound stupid if people are about to watch the game the team's been named by the time they're listening to this but he's definitely going to start tonight isn't he? Well I, I seems to be what's the point of taking well, him off? Yeah, to, exactly yeah and there seems to be a suggestion from the panel well no he you know, th- this is one of the bigger games, which it is, but it's also the second worst team in the group. So if we're literally confining him, and it's at home. Mm. So if we're just confining him to, to, to two games per group, mm. I think that could be a little harsh. Yeah, I, I mean, I would expect him to play tonight. We'll, we'll see um, what happens there. But, you know, he scored a f- good few goals against Georgia in the past. I mean, the last time when we played them at home it was Robbie Keane. Two goals that got us past them. Um, so He I, also told Ronnie Whelan after, before the game on Friday night that He's going to play as long as he's not dropped. As yeah. long as he continues to get a... Re- he, he's aware that in some games he won't be playing, but as long as he's getting a reasonable amount of game time, he's not going anywhere from the Irish side. Well, it's still his land, you know what I mean? What's he supposed to do? Just throw himself into the sea? He's still he's still the farmer. You know what I mean? And it's up to... Well... It's up to someone to come up on him from And drive a loy into his head. <laughs> <laughs> what is a loy? Uh, it's not the thing that cuts out the... No, that's is it a thing for cutting turf or something? Cutting turf, I think it is. Yeah. You do a bit of damage with that, all right. But yeah. of course it's not a slave, though. It's an early Irish spade with a long, heavy handle made of ash, a narrow steel plate on the face, and a single footrest. So, yeah. But of course, he, did, he hadn't done anything of the sort. He was just a, a fantasist or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, had he not hit him, and, but you hadn't killed him? He, he uh, may, maybe he had. Eventually, doesn't the old the old man turns he up turns again, up, and then they I have another he's, fight. He's swathed in bandages, and then the old lad gives him a right good pummeling. They have they have another fight, and then and this time they think he really has killed him. But then that would have been a complicated moral situation to have to be played out on the national stage, you know. <laughs> so he survives again, 
second attack, and then they all they all run away. I think everyone just runs off, and that's how it ends. Spoiler alert! But <laughs> but uh, Martin O'Neill and spoiler alert for one hundred and twenty year old play. <laughs> Roy Keane no, were at uh, HQ yesterday, of course. The big house uh, to to take in the hurling final, and uh, well, I mean, I wanted to ask you this, Kieran. Yeah. Because you were there as well. I was. What do you think they would have learned from it? What would these two old football men have taken from this celebration of a of another code, a more noble code, mm. a more ancient code? Mm. Uh, they, I think they would have learned that uh, favoritism is not necessarily an un-Irish t- uh, uh, thing to have. Handling uh, the pressure of being favourite. Yeah, it turns out Kilkenny people are Irish people. <laughs> Uh, Kilkenny hurlers are Irish sports people and they really don't have any problem at all with being favourites going into a game against inferior opponents. They, mm. like, they actually quite enjoy that. They're kind of the and Germans of Ireland, the Kilkenny people. Yeah, but they're... <laughs> the prosperous burghers of Kilkenny. A lot of good land down there, Ken. It is, it's it's quite a prosperous county, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Never, never happier than when dispatching... Uh, Weaker, Little, uh, passionate, weak opposition. Sharing croppers <laughs> from the West. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. If, I mean, uh, I was thinking, uh, I don't know. I, I was trying to watch a bit of the game. I was listening to it, of course, Kieran, as you know. Yep. Listening to the sounds of the stadium drifting, drifting in through the Goal window. Cater, cater uh, walls. Uh, Wayne Rooney was in action. He equaled Bobby Charlton's scoring record. The night he equaled his caps record. So both of them have, uh, have uh, exactly equivalent 106 caps, 49 goal records. He needed a penalty to score against San Marino, his only goal of the night. Robbie Keane, of course, got two, including one from open play. Um, both players, uh, this, this is what I, was th- what I was thinking about yesterday, but I was thinking about whether to write about Robbie Keane. First, I was thinking, will I write about, will I write about him and Rooney? They're both you know, these record goal scorers, and they both kind of get a bit of a pacing. But then I thought, no, they don't really. Rooney does. Rooney... Most of the stuff that you read about Wayne Rooney... Okay, what's the, what's the standard article you read about Wayne Rooney in the last three years? What does it say? Waning powers. Waning Wayne. Waning Wayne. He's or unfulfilled potential. Unfulfilled potential, exactly. He has failed to deliver on the promise. When he lit up Euro 2004, um, he electrified uh, the world. And since then, he's just become this, you know... Uh, whatever he is, stagnant. Well, I don't know if people go quite that far. But but uh, whereas I think when people talk about Robbie Keane, it's generally pretty positive. I would say in Ireland, we're kind of like oh, 67 goals. <laughs> it's 67 goals. There is a bit of I don't know if is the right word though. There is qualified praise of him. I think people are staggered that he has scored that many goals, given that his club career only rarely reached anything like those heights. Hmm. Probably in his time at Spurs. Maybe if managers had just shown a bit more faith in him, mm. you know. Uh, but um, yeah, so so anyway, Wayne Rooney has got uh, is is probably going to get the record. They uh, Roy Hodgson took him off as well, and now they get to play against Switzerland. And apparently, England hadn't sold that many tickets for the Switzerland game. But now, of course, there's the opportunity to see history being made by Wayne Rooney at Wembley, uh, and maybe that'll prompt a few more people to to um, step up. Um, to the uh, to the ticket thing, but what did Martin O'Neill have to say? Uh, speaking yesterday, uh, he says Seamus Coleman hopefully will be back in contention. Obviously, Cyrus Christie came in for him and did pretty well. Scored a goal, made a good defensive clearance at one point. A header, 
and uh, generally had had a decent oh, game. I don't know. Thought he had quite a poor game. Really? Uh, he's, uh, players when they when we don't know what they're like tend to, or when we haven't seen them in certain positions, tend to get a really really uh, generous rub of the green mm. from in terms of how we view. If you, you know, Robbie Keane scores two goals and people are still saying, eh, you know, did he do anything else? Cyrus Christie gave some terrible balls away, both before and after the goal. Remember the one where John O'Shea balled him out of it, mm. and we ended up creating a goal out of that. Yeah, that was John one where O'Shea. Gibraltar were bearing down on us, but <laughs> yeah. then the guy got himself in, to play a, football in a muddle. Just yeah. kept spinning around <laughs> like a computer figure that is. It's just been a bit I of kind a of expected you know, the camera to like zoom in and he'd gotten a nosebleed. Yeah. You know, like one of those. Oh, I'm sorry. Can we just stop the game? My nose. Yeah. Is I'm sorry. I'm being a little yeah. bit harsh on, on Cyrus Christie there. I, I I felt he had an average game, but he scored a great goal and did make that clearance. Now he very nearly cost us a goal as well, and I, I thought was wasteful in possession at times. Uh, certainly, he would be at best an understudy to uh, to Coleman, but that's not a bad position to be in. Um. Yeah, it's not not not. But I'm sure Coleman will be will be playing if he's fit. But what Martin O'Neill Martin O'Neill was talking a little bit about um, Shane Long. You know, uh, he has the ability to do things other players can't. He has a bit of pace. He can get in behind teams, especially when teams are pressing up at home. When teams are sitting in and there's not much room in there, that might be something we'd look at. So that sounds to me as though O'Neill is saying this isn't a game for Shane Long. Um, I mean, if you're talking about a player who's got pace to get in behind, but then you're talking about a team that doesn't isn't leaving any space in behind, then he says that might be something we'd look at. Does that mean that might be a reason we'd leave Shane Long out? Or I don't know. I mean, Shane Long also gives you the ability uh, to head crosses into the net, which maybe other people don't really have. So that I mean, he Wal- did it obviously. Walters, I guess, not that he scores that many. Scored a couple against Austria. Johnny Walters, it's not for I forget his his glory day against Austria. Um, but so we'll we'll see how that all goes tonight. I mean, obviously, there's not much point in us talking about a game which is going to happen in about eight hours' time, and uh, you are listening to it. If you're listening on Monday, if you you could well be listening to this after the game. So, Jack Grealish. I hope you enjoyed that game. I hope you enjoyed the game. I hope it went well. <laughs> uh, Jack Grealish, incidentally, what's going on with this guy? Uh, Roy Hodgson has started to get a, sound a little bit irritable about him. Uh, I'm not 100 percent certain of what he's waiting for, says Roy. I'd like him to come in and say, I've thought about it, I've got the two possibilities and I'm opting for England. Then he'll be available for section. But he has been injured, to be fair, so he wouldn't have been available for any team during these September, September fixtures. Now, maybe before the October fixtures, he might make that decision. I made it clear to him, it's got to be your decision, it's got to be something you really want to do, that feels right. So, Roy kind of getting a little impatient now, isn't he? He's sort of, move along now, Jack. We don't want to be waiting on you. This is maybe Ireland's best hope. The irritable nature of Roy Hodgson. Uh, when he's being made to wait on the decision of this, you know, gilded princeling, and uh, thinking to himself, "What is this? What? what is, why is he making me wait here?" Um, if, uh, yeah. if if Roy Hodgson starts to put put a bit of pressure on, maybe he might start rubbing the situation up the wrong way. We we have got the patience to play the long game, surely. It sounds to me as though our manager might have put, put in a bit more face time with young Jack and his father as well. Because remember, uh, only a few weeks ago he met up with them and. He gave a somewhat, somewhat ambivalent state of the nation update. Yeah, but it, fruitful. But fruitful, but still no idea when any decision is going to be made. But he was speaking very respectfully about him. There was no hint of frustration as to the delay in making the decision, which is starting to get a little bit weird, I think. Yeah. That he had, just hasn't picked one. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we sort of thought that the longer he delayed, the worse it was for us. But now it's kind of... Now you're looking at it and thinking, well, maybe actually... Maybe this isn't so bad 
from our point of view, you know, maybe if he, that he still hasn't decided, he's he's actually still a little bit conflicted here. Assume that he was just, oh yeah, I'm going to switch over, but maybe not. Um, so we'll wait and see. Um, so what else is going on? Northern Ireland uh, remain top of their group, uh, and they're playing Hungary um, tonight. Uh, and if they win, then Northern Ireland are, I think, pretty much pretty much there. Yeah, no, they're in fact they they're definitely there if they beat uh, if they beat Hungary. So it's a pretty amazing situation. I mean, Northern Ireland, uh, Iceland have qualified. We will get to them in a second, but um, all these uh, the kind of tiny countries that are topping these groups. Um, Michael Walker had a piece today talking about uh, uh, just trying to shed a little light on how Michael O'Neill has uh, finessed certain situations uh, with the Northern Ireland team. How he's managed to uh, get everyone sort of all his ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. And one of the ducks was Kyle Lafferty, a big, ungainly duck, uh, with a sometimes, uh, let's say, maverick approach. And um, essentially, uh, Lafferty is a player who used to have the odd... Uh, maybe he'd sometimes... He was a bit too passionate in his approach to the game. So sometimes he'd, uh, he'd be involved in a game, and then prematurely his involvement in the game would come to a halt with a flash of red from the referee. Um, and one of these times was against uh, Portugal uh, when Northern Ireland were winning 2-1, uh, then lost 4-2. He was sent off after coming on a sub. Um, so this is Kyle Lafferty talking about Michael O'Neill. This is, this is big. The, the transformation is down to Michael. He sat me down the day after I was sent off against Portugal. It's difficult when you think you've got a good relationship with someone and a guy you respect is saying things that hurt you. But when I went away and had a thing about it, I knew he was right. He then gave me another chance. A lot of managers wouldn't have done that. He sat me down and talked to me like an adult. The things he said, he actually made me believe the lads need me in the team. He made me wake up. Had I not been for the sending off against Portugal, I don't know if I'd be in this position now, helping the team. I had to grow up sometime. The team in the country needs the Kyle Lafferty with the head screwed on. Not the clown. <laughs> so, wow. Wow. That's Good a Kyle put. Lafferty quote. <clears throat> yeah. Amazing. That's a, that's a player who um, loves his... Uh, his manager, O'Neill, laughed down the alleged special relationship between him and Lafferty. But there were warm words from the former Shamrock Rovers manager. He said, uh, Kyle's heart has always been in the right place. He knows he's maybe made mistakes at times. Young players do. But what he's given for me in the pitch has never been in question. He just seems in a good place. The squad's always brighter when Kyle's around. So absolute mutual adoration here from Kyle Lafferty and Michael O'Neill. Yep. And an insight maybe into how O'Neill is uh, doing such a good job there. The other thing I want uh, we, sh- we need to mention is Iceland. Iceland beating Holland uh, away, drawing with Kazakhstan, means that they have qualified automatically, automatically for 2016. So it's England, Czech Republic, Iceland uh, have joined France. Um, uh, and obviously everyone is now like, what the? <laughs> how does this happen with Iceland? So there's quite, you know... Um, quite a few pieces on this. One of them which I was reading was actually before the World Cup, because remember they nearly qualified for the World Cup as well. Uh, and whenever there is a success like this, there's always people kind of lining up to claim credit for it. Um, you know, uh, who you know who's responsible, what systems have been put in place, and so on. Uh, essentially, it seems to boil down to lots and lots of coaches. Uh, it always does, isn't it? Um, apparently, the number of people doing coaching courses in Iceland exploded after the financial crisis there. Uh, loads of people started going into it. So maybe that's going to have a knock on. Maybe the same thing will happen here. I don't know. Um, more uh, all-weather facilities because it's you can't play much football when the wind is whistling by 20 meters per second, say the Icelanders. So they've got loads of these little indoor places now. And uh, 
Well, yeah, that's it. All right. That's the end of Kennedy's report on sport. That's one of those things. Stop it! How many players can do this? Duffman can never die. He's 34 years old. One of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. No, he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh, yeah. He's got more of a tan than me. We will talk about the Dutch side of that story, by the way, because having lost that game to Iceland on Friday night, they were hammered by Turkey over the weekend, yesterday. So they're on the brink of not even qualifying for a playoff, which is absolutely amazing, a year on from finishing third in the World Cup. Uh, we'll get to Simon Cooper on that after we chat to Tom English from BBC Scotland about this disastrous result for Scotland, Tom, on Friday night and the organisational chaos that followed it. I presume they've taken a bit of a pacing in the press as well. So it sounds like it's all set up for a shock win against Germany tonight. Uh, yeah, I think Scotland will be hoping that you're right. It has, it's, it's, um, it's mayhem here, actually. Um, you're right, the, the result against, against Georgia, the performance against Georgia was lamentable. Uh, they completely bottled it uh, on the night. Uh, no redeeming features whatsoever. And they've gone from a promising position in the group to a very unpromising position. And then there was this, the, the chaos on the way home. The players got to their beds at seven seven thirty a.m. on on Saturday because the SFA didn't uh, their their plane what uh, didn't stay on the tarmac in Tbilisi. Uh, the SFA said it would have cost too much money to keep it on the tarmac for two days, and uh, they were delayed drastically delayed coming home. And the plane was was a bit of a rust bucket. Um, leg room was minimal. Suffice to say that if if Scotland had a had a Roy Keane in their squad, they'd be uh, There'd be a walkout right now. But is it true, Tom, that, I mean, some of the reports I've read suggest that the, the, uh, the Blazers were sitting up front in the, in the nice seats and the players were all back in economy. Is this, is this true? I thought everybody uh, did it the other way around these days. No, no, apparently uh, some of the, um, there's a minimal, there's only, I think only about 10 or 12 uh, see, there's no, there's no one of these charters. There's no, there's no kind of first class or business class. It's a pretty rudimentary aeroplane. Um, but the extra legroom that there was on the plane apparently was taken up by the Blazers. In fact, one of the journalists, uh, one of my colleagues from the Sunday Mail, uh, when he was going on the plane in, in Glasgow before they left, uh, he spotted the chief executive of the SFA. Stuart Regan sitting in a in a in a um, an emergency exit row with extra legroom, <laughs> and commented, "Gosh, you're, you're you're very good to yourself, Stuart." And Stuart Regan said, "Yeah, what are the perks of the job?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus! I imagine what Roy Keane would have made of that. I mean, but this was accepted, and you know, it was laughed off because Scotland were going over there, and they were going to beat Georgia, and none of this is going to be an issue. Legroom was not going to be an issue. But my goodness, it's an issue now. Well, I hope Stuart Regan was feeling limber on his on his return. <laughs> I'm sure he was hale and hearty. Um, he might be playing centre forward this morning because or this evening because uh, I think Scotland will be will be will be struggling. And the, you know, if if and we'll find out a bit about them tonight. Are they a squad that will use something like this as an excuse? Um, uh, they're up against us. But I have seen Scotland produce performances in adversity before. I don't think they'll go down 
as meekly as, as some people think, certainly not as meekly as they went down in Tbilisi. I think there'll be performance in them tonight. I don't think they'll win, but I think they'll play an awful lot better than they did on Friday night. Yeah, well, there's no, there's not really much pressure on them tonight. Well, I suppose there's pressure on them to, to rescue their campaign in a sense, but, you know, it's not as though anyone really expects them to, to beat Germany. They did play well against them before. I, I was struck by something Gordon Strachan said. Um, well, he said a few things, actually. Strachan is, is, is often quite interesting when he, yeah. when he gets going, but he said, um, I'll remind people again, this squad plays for Scotland for nothing. It's not like a club side when you go in and you pay the players a lot of money to perform. These guys give up their time to come along and play for zero money and you have to admire what they do because international football is a lot harder from when I played, that's for sure. He sounds like a GEA manager telling people to lay off his, his boys because they're, you know, they're amateurs. Yeah. Um, is, are, are they really getting, uh, getting a lot of um, criticism for this? They're, they're, they're not. Um, I don't know where that's... Strachan comes up with the most bizarre comments sometimes. We don't know where that came from. Um... Uh, and it's just it's it's completely strange. But he has his in his background, he has this capacity to come to, to summon up these these quotes from left field. Um, I, nobody knows what he's going on about there. Uh, uh, there has been criticism of the of the players justifiably, um, but but to be honest, and I think it's a bit skewed. The criticism post Tbilisi has mostly been directed at the SFA over over Flightgate. Um, I think most of the criticism should be directed at the players. It's irrelevant whether they're paid or not paid. It's just it's total, total nonsense. It's an interesting Strack, point, Strack Tom. Is, yeah, it does seem that... A red herring. It's a red herring. It's nonsense. Yeah, and, and certainly the the flight issue is, is more than a red herring. It's obviously, uh, you know, in this day and age, it's it's very unacceptable. But that all happened after the event, exactly. after the actual results. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, how shocked were people by the just the thorough lack of a performance that the Scots put up there? Yeah, I think shocked. I think I think within the Scottish psyche, there's a there's a fatalism that it's going to go wrong uh, somewhere along the line, and it went wrong in Tbilisi. Uh, there were warning signs in Dublin. Uh, um, Scotland played played very poorly and, and and snaffled the draw in the end, but they played really poorly in that match. Um, they actually played poorly against Gibraltar and, and, and went 1-0 down in the game before that, but they, they scored six. But there were warning signs there as well, defensively uh, and, and in terms of attitude. Uh, and it all came home to roost um, in Tbilisi. Uh, the midfield to front were non-existent. Scotland's supposed go-to players, their leaders, uh, didn't turn up. Uh, Scott Brown was a complete shadow of the snarling self. Um, and they just went down. They, you know, Gordon Strachan, another one of the strange things that Gordon Strachan said, Gordon Strachan said before that match that it wasn't a must-win, and he couldn't understand why everybody was talking why this was a must-win. Now, anybody who looked at the table and worked out the, the ramifications of it would have known that that was a must-win in terms of Scotland finishing second and automatically qualifying. Uh, but Strachan completely rejected this, and his team played like a team that didn't think it was a must-win. There was no urgency, there was no intensity, there was no threat. They didn't have a shot on target in the whole match. It was it was a shocking performance. Yeah, I mean, we all thought it was a must-win, because I think there's um, a fair amount of fatalism over here as well. It's a fatalism off between Ireland and Scotland for third place. <laughs> and even if it's not a must-win, you might as well win. Yeah. It was at least a, a might-as-well win game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, because, you know, Scotland would have been... They would have been fourth. They would have been. Oh, sorry, they would have been second. They won in Georgia. They'd have been second uh, in in the group. Now um, they would have been ahead of Poland. The head to head, and um, it's 
now they're fourth, and they don't have their destiny in their own hands anymore. They've got Germany to come tonight. They've got Poland as well at home. But it's, it's over here, there is a growing sense that Scotland have yet again blown it. Yeah, it's, it's incredible actually how quickly that can change. Yeah. I mean, we should have all listened to Martin O'Neill when he was there <laughs> telling us, oh, this isn't over yet. And we were all saying, oh, come on, Martin, you know, who are you trying to kid? And actually, it turns out he was right. But, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised by this because it seemed to me, you know, when I went over to Scotland and saw them beat Ireland there and then the, they, they were back over here. And it seemed as though this was a team that was on a mission and they really kind of thought... Yeah, you know, this is our time. We're we're actually going places with this team. Seems to have turned around fairly radically. Obviously, that could change again. But if it doesn't, is that the end of of Gordon Strachan with Scotland? Do you think he'll be he'll be out of there, or is or is he going to say no? You know, it's just a setback. Uh, we're going to go to the World Cup in Russia. No, I I think he'll I think he'll stay on, but I I, I think he's been completely taken aback by what happened in in Tbilisi. Um, I don't think he saw that coming at all. Um, I think he knew it was going to be a tough game. But I suspected deep down, even though he wouldn't admit it, that he thought Scotland would, would, would get out of there with a win. Or at worst case scenario, a draw. Um, but he got none of those things. He didn't even get a performance. Now, Scotland, uh, Strachan is, will, never, will never tell you what he's really thinking. Um, uh, he's very, he uses kind of humor and sarcasm as a, as a defensive shield. So anytime he's asked a question, he bats it away with a bit of sarcasm or a bit of humor. But inside, he's he's got to be he's got to be in a bit of turmoil because that performance was the worst um, of his of his time in Scotland. Everyone in Scotland thought that Scotland were beyond that kind of performance. They all thought that no, nobody thought that Scotland were world beaters. There was feel good in the country, no question. Um, but deep down, people would have thought, you know what? There's, there's, there's still probably a bad performance in this team. Uh, not as bad a performance as that, though. That was a non- it was a non-performance, actually. It's, it's, it's stretching it to call it a performance. It was a non-performance. It just didn't turn up. Um, all of their defenders, the defense was poor. Midfield was overrun and overfought, and that's outfought. And that was the thing that's really galling for the, for the Scottish fans, is that the team was outfought. It looked like Georgia wanted it more, and that's a ridiculous thing to say, but that's true. Yeah, well, we'll see if they can turn things around tonight. Tom, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Pleasure. Ah, well, as long as Stuart Regan has that extra leg room, Ken, everything should be just about all right there. Although the problem, I guess, Stuart Regan could argue that he's showing great leadership there. Mm. Because he's the person who is sitting at the emergency exit. He'll have been told, getting on that plane, you're the one who's going to have to... They still do that, right? On flights? Yeah. yeah. It's quite stressful. I always find, maybe I don't want that. I mean, I know it's one in a million, but I, 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 know, I won't react well in this crisis. <laughs> maybe I'm not the man for this job. I'll sit down the back. I'm definitely prepared to take my chances with a, yeah. on a Ryanair flight. I'm like, I am not squeezing into one of those chairs, uh, into one of those seats. So, how do you think he'd react in worst case scenario though? If there was uh, like Sergio, uh, or like like Sergio, like Emilio Butragueño in, in the penalty box, <laughs> my blood rate would actually my drop. My blood rate, my heart rate. <laughs> I've I've had a tough twenty four hours. Okay, cut <laughs> yeah, me have. a little bit of slack, all right? Yeah, okay. I'm okay. Sorry. Sounds like that last um, Friday night would have been the time for Strachan to. Relax that no booze policy, Ken. Maybe let the boys have a crack up in a couple of cans at Tbilisi Airport. Oh, in the airport? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know if the photographs would have been that good, though. Just sitting Knackered-looking <laughs> Scottish players uh, sitting there beside the baggage carousel drinking tins of lager. I don't know if that would have good, good optics. 
especially given that they've just lost. I think that wasn't the time to, to relax the Nobu's policy. Holland have been crushed by Turkey, lost to Iceland on Thursday, and now they well, they need Turkey at a minimum to screw this up if they, Holland, are even going to reach the playoffs in fourth place now, a couple of points off third spot. Having, uh, I mean, we're only a year on. Simon Cooper is ready to talk about this. Just over a year since that iconic result against Spain in the World Cup, um, Simon, that 5-1 win, uh, which is one of the most staggering results in a hell of a long time. Fourth now in this qualifying group. What I want to do some finger pointing here. What's happened and who's to blame? It's hard to say. I mean, there was a whole bad generation born, say, from 1985 through 1991. Uh, with really no good players at all. I mean, there's some younger ones who are now starting to come through, like Memphis Depay and Stéphane Defay. But there's a very deep drop in quality. We had some great players born in 1983-84. Arjen Robben, Wesley Schneider, Robin von Persie, Klaas von Hintelau, quite a few like that. And they took us to the World Cup final in 2010, uh, finished third in the 2014 World Cup. And, of course, it's an anomaly that a small country like Holland was getting results like that. And I fear those days are over for quite some time now. Yeah, I mean, can you explain why that is? I mean, why, why do you get a bad generation like that? Because we're talking about a country here whose who's, um, methods in sort of developing young players have been copied by Spain and Germany, who dominates the world, and not just Spain and Germany. So why is it that the methods uh, aren't working in Holland? Well, to some degree, the problem is we gave our secret to the world. I mean, Holland pioneered the fast-passing game, players moving off the ball all the time, really a team of midfielders where everybody can play football. And countries like Germany and Spain have uh, copied and improved that very successfully. But even countries like England and Italy are trying to play more our way. Uh, No more clod-hopping centre-backs is the ideal anyway. Um, No more centre-forwards who can't play football. And so once... Holland loses its uh, unique intelligence advantage, then there isn't much left. You're just a a small European country. And so, uh, you know, couple that with bad luck of not having any geniuses born for seven years, and you get this kind of situation. I mean, there were problems before 2014. I mean, Louis van Gaal, when he became manager before the World Cup, he realized the defenders were too weak to play four at the back, and he played a team with five at the back which had the additional advantage that you then have a counter-attacking formation which unleashes Arjen Robben to uh, break at speed. And with Robben breaking at speed, I mean, you know, there's Europe at Cristiano Ronaldo's cell quality. And um, since then, we've gone back to the more traditional, old-fashioned Dutch way of uh, having possession, playing on the other team's half, and that, that gives Robben much less space. Plus, he got injured uh, in the 0-1 defeat against Iceland last week, which in itself was, of course, dreadful. And uh, Holland lost 3-0 without him against Turkey. I mean, even at the World Cup, you saw it had become a team, a one-man team to some degree, reliant on Auburn. So, yeah, we lost our intelligence advantage and then we had some bad players. The implication there as well, maybe, is that Holland uh, has not uh, really innovated in this area in the last while. I mean, having had, having enjoyed this advantage over the rest of the world, the rest of the world caught up, and it's not as though Holland has, has innovated to maintain an edge. Exactly. And if you look at Germany, you see that the Germans are constantly innovating. I mean, Euro 2008, the Germans reached the final against Spain. They lose 1-0. And any other country would have said, that's great, we're doing really well. And the Germans said, no, this isn't good enough. And so the Germans moved to a system where, essentially, when you pass, you have to run. So every German player uh, is doing pass and run. So it's a kind of radicalized version of the Dutch system. The Germans find a goalkeeper, Manuel Neuer, who's the dream goalkeeper of the Dutch system, which is a goalkeeper who is 
a better outfield player than many outfield players. So the Germans are constantly pushing the envelope, improving things. Holland is resting on its laurels, which is what tends to happen when you have a, an advantage. You don't, you don't innovate. And so, yeah, Holland is no longer the most innovative European country. That's Germany now. And the thing is, when Germany is as smart as Holland, Germany is going to win because they have 82 million people. Yeah, but we're not even talking about Germany here, Simon. We're talking about Iceland and Turkey and Czech Republic, all these teams ahead of Holland. I mean, I, I take on board what you're saying, and that would explain why they may not challenge at these Euros, but I'm still staggered to see that they're on 10 points from eight games and hoping for Turkey to slip up just to make it into a playoff. I know, I know. Um, I mean, <laughs> it sounds like you're as stunned as me. Um, I, I mean, it, it was all deserved. The thing is, you remember, of course, when Ireland beat us 1-0 in 2001. I was there in Dublin, and you went to the World Cup, and we didn't. And that was a real shock, because that was a great Dutch team. And people understood that they had become lazy and spoiled, and um, Ireland just wanted it a bit more. And, uh, of course, Ireland and Portugal in the group were decent teams then. So it was the, the Dutch only had themselves to blame in 2001. Whereas, you know, I watched the Turkey game on TV last night, and it was just very sad because... Turkey were a lot better than Holland, and that wasn't the case when we last lost. Now it's not an attitudinal problem, it's a quality problem. The, what you said there about lazy and spoiled, um, I mean, okay, this just seems quite young, they probably haven't had a chance to really get properly spoiled yet, but um, something I think that you've talked about before is the way in which sometimes teams, big, teams from big countries or teams which are made of players that play for big clubs, oftentimes don't really necessarily want to be at an international tournament in June. Uh, I mean, when you look when you look down the list of, of groups for this tournament, you see Iceland at the top of one, Wales at the top of another, Slovakia um, at the top of another group, uh, which includes Spain. Do you get the sense that uh, that maybe some of the, the bigger teams are, if not happy to, to sort of stand aside, maybe the, that the, they don't really necessarily want to go to an international tournament as badly as a team such as Iceland? I mean, I think that's true. If you're playing for Iceland, you probably you really geared up for the game against Holland. It was what you were really, you know, the the, the key focus of your season. And of course, for Wales, the same applies. Um, but I mean, most of the big teams are going to go to the tournament. I think teams like Italy and Germany they they come out of the World Cup and they coast for a while because they, you know, they're they're canny enough to do what it takes to get there. So I don't think that in the first games Germany was playing um, at its legendary best. And they didn't expect to, and they were never going to, having just won the World Cup. But I think that you know there is a there's a level of professionalism that they they will do enough. I think 15 years ago, uh, you, footballers were still coming out of the kind of rock star era where um, they were allowed to have their off days and to live it up a bit when they uh, when they felt like it. I think now today's football is a much more professional kind of figure, so you don't really see people screwing up and playing at 50% of their capacity anymore. You only get down to 80% when, you know, Germany play Ireland, for example. There has been a story kind of uh, ticking over all summer uh, in the Dutch media about what's happening at Ajax. Um, and I wonder if you would draw a link between these things. Essentially, uh, say that the football magazine, the Football International, um, recently had a very critical uh, article about Johan Cruyff um, talking about how the revolution that he proclaimed five years ago uh, to, to reconnect with the top European clubs has hopelessly failed. Uh, his approach after the revolution has made a hornet's nest. Talks about a cold war within the club. Uh, talks about all the ex-footballers that he installed in key positions uh, apparently are fighting each other and don't talk to each other. 
Um, would you do you think that uh, the problems at the biggest club in Holland and the problems of the national team are in any way linked? I mean, I think that Holland has been uh, really surprised by our decline in power, both at club level and at international level. And Krauf in 2011 said, well, you know, the reason Ajax has become bad internationally is just uh, it's run by stupid people, there's a lack of desire, and Ajax really should be winning Champions Leagues again, which was a ludicrous diagnosis because, you know, Ajax have about a fifth of the revenues of United and uh, Real Madrid, so it's not going to be beating those teams. But um, Krauf came in and, uh, you know, brought in all these ex-players and said, you know, if we want, we can just get straight back to the 1970s level. And that's one response to failure, which is um, sort of total denial and, um, you know, desire to restore the glory age without thinking what made the glory age. And now with the national team, we're now going to see the debate about, because the national team's decline has only happened now, whereas the club decline happened, you know, 10 years ago. With the national team, we're now going to have a debate about why it's not happening. And some people are being a bit stupid about this and saying, oh, you know, Memphis has become a spoiled uh, pop star kind of player. Look at his haircuts. But, um, you know, I think the problems, unfortunately, are much more about uh, about quality. And we've, we've been overtaken by a bunch of other countries. Yeah. And, you know, you also, had, you, you also have these three, you have the golden triangle of Van Persie, Orban and Snyder. And Orban is injured and Van Persie and Snyder have gone into a steep decline. And, but they're still in the team. And so you often have that problem with legends who are aging. How do you, how do you replace them and move on? Yeah, fair enough. A lot of questions to answer there, I think. Simon, great stuff. Thanks, Medium. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm buying your theory, Ken, that top players just would like a summer break, therefore aren't trying very hard. Well, I don't know. I think it is a bit of a... It's a kind of a treadmill that they're on, isn't it? It's like... Well, why, do we, why don't we see Italy or England or Germany not qualify for a tournament? Italy have been... Have been um, grinding away in qualifying. Their qualifying hasn't been very impressive, but they are going to get there. England are a serene uh, qualification machine. They just... England in qualifying are unstoppable. They do seem to get a lot of friendly little groups, uh, it's true to say, but their record in qualifying over the last 10 years has been incredible. Um, You know, especially when you compare it to their tournament record. I don't know. I mean, I sometimes think with Ireland, uh, the last time we got to a tournament was actually so awful that subliminally maybe the players dread uh, dread getting there again I mean the, the qualification is great when you qualify it's, it's a great feeling but then actually going there and being brutalised would you take that scenario now qualification for the Euros followed by humiliation on yeah. a continental scale correct yeah I would yeah you would yeah yeah, you, you would. You would. Yeah, take it. at least you get that moment of glory. Yeah. It's, you, it's just it. nice to have big international, to be involved in some big international games in the summer when the weather's nice. We That's basically what it's all about. We meet. We might meet the supporters of some good teams over there. That'd be fun. <laughs> you could talk to them about that. What's it like? <laughs> yeah. Our little faces pressed up to the window pane of good teams. Dublin's win over Mayo in the football and another Ireland hurling title for Kilkenny it feature heavily in our second podcast, which we put out uh, today. That's Monday. Kenny, did you see who was heavily involved? You said Martin O'Neill was at the hurling. Did you mm. see who else was heavily involved here? This is the team bus. I'm going to show you a video. You don't need the oh, audio necessarily. Well, I saw a photograph. I'm wondering if the same familiar face is going to... There he is. <laughs> there he is. It's, uh, it's Waterford's slash Tipperary's John Delaney exulting with the Kilkenny... Uh, hurlers who have just won their 75 billionth Liam McCarthy. <laughs> That's Brian Cody, who is, who's, he's 
Spaghetti Manager, of course. Who I'm surprised. Arm is linked to John Delaney's. Who, arm is, yeah, they, they've, they're arm in arm. I'm surprised Cody let him on the bus, though. A good Waterford slash Tipperary man. Mm. But his, dad, his dad's a big Kilkenny fan, apparently. We can yeah. all lustily yeah. celebrate excellence, though, Ken. That's true. Well, if there's one thing John Delaney loves, it's excellence. Enjoy the game tonight. If it's already happened, let's hope we... What, what result has happened, Ken, if people are listening after the game? Um, I a, a, a nervy 2-1 victory <laughs> with two brilliant goals by Robbie Keane. How could anyone ever have doubted this man? Thanks, Ken. Thank you all. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, all. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.